Bow your head and close your eyes with me if you would. Hey, God, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the, the opportunity we've had so far this morning to have some fun together, to connect with one another in a different way. Thank you, God, for the presence of your Holy Spirit who's been in this place with us throughout our time together this morning so far. I pray, God, that you would continue to be here as uh, we prepare to jump into the word, that you would speak through me this morning, God, that this would not just be words that I wrote on a page or typed on a keyboard, God, but that you would use me as your mouthpiece this morning and speak to everyone in this place the word, the truth of your word from scripture. God, I thank you and praise you, and in your name we pray, we all said, amen. amen. All right, y'all just kind of help me out this morning. Keep that same energy we've had here. Uh, with the games and all that kind of stuff. I know Pastor Mark says it all the time. Uh, he's going to need some help, but I need some help today with this message uh, for a variety of reasons that we won't get into right now. But as I was preparing that video and, and writing and putting together some graduation gifts and writing some graduation cards and stuff, I really started feeling several different ways. One of those ways was uh, old. Uh, because I've known some of these kids since as, as young as elementary school, even middle school, some of them middle school, uh, and they're all graduating now, and so I don't even want to know how you feel as their parents. The second thing I felt was excited, right, because I'm excited. I know that God has placed gifts and talents and passions and abilities within them, and they're going to go out and they're going to change the world. Whether that means changing the world as a, uh, the whole world or just changing the world of one or two people, they have what it takes to make a difference. And I'm excited to watch them learn and grow and, and, and change and be led by God. I felt a little sad because I know that they won't be around much longer. and I won't get to see them every week. And that's, that's a bummer because, again, some of these kids, I've known them for a long time. But most of all, I felt excited and honored. I felt honored to have had the time to spend with them. You know, the, the fact that those of you who are able, let us Spend time with your kids for 90 minutes on a Wednesday is one of the great honors of my life. And so to be able to invest in them and, and speak into their lives and hopefully be a, a tiny fraction of a piece of what makes them who they are and what makes them successful and what makes them a good follower of Jesus, that's it's just, it's just a tremendous honor. But all of that, the video prep and the card writing and everything, it got me thinking about an, a, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Timothy wasn't graduating but he was this, this young man that Paul had spent a lot of time investing in and, and speaking into his life and, and really pouring into him. And, and uh, Paul was writing this letter. It's the last letter that Paul would ever write to Timothy, not, again, because Timothy was graduating, but because Paul was in a Roman prison about to be executed, and he knew it was coming soon. And so he wrote this letter with passion and urgency. He's like, I need to make sure Timothy knows these things. And so this morning... I want to look at a few of the verses from this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. We, we couldn't hope to cover it all this morning, but a, a few specific things, because I believe these things have something to teach every single one of us this morning. And we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Where Paul says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So not only is he like, man, I remember you when you were just a little boy, Timothy. He's also giving us a very important lesson for the parents and grandparents in the room. And that's this, your faith matters to your children. Right? The way you talk about it. 
the way you practice it, the level of importance that you place on it, it all goes a long way in shaping the kind of faith that your kids will develop. And I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, because I've known students with great faith whose parents did not believe in God at all, and I've known parents whose faith was unwavering who had their kids walk away from God for a season. But I am saying that it, it matters to the people around you. Right? If you live a life of daily surrender to Christ, they're going to notice. If you preach one thing and practice something different, they're going to notice. We're all passing on the same kind of faith that we practice. In fact, there's no doubt in my mind that I would not be on this stage today if it wasn't for the two decades I spent watching my parents live out their faith. They'd be the first ones to tell you that they didn't do everything perfect. But their love, their faithfulness, their commitment, and their dedication to Jesus helped to shape and mold my faith and help me become who I am. And their faith, it's not what saved me. And it's not the only reason that I choose to trust in God every day, but it played a bigger factor in those decisions than almost anything else. Your faith matters to your kids, but it's not just our kids who are influenced by our faith. Maybe you're here like, well, I don't have any kids, so I guess I don't need to listen to this part of the message. Yeah, you do. Because no matter where you go or who you are, somebody is watching you. And I know that sounds creepy. I'm not going to sing it. But that's not what I mean, right? What I mean is that somebody from work or school or family or Facebook, they're paying attention to how you practice your faith. They're watching the way you live out what you believe, and they're using you as a measuring stick or a definition of what it means to follow Jesus. Our faith and the way we live it and practice it matters to the people around us. And Paul continues from there after uh, recognizing the contributions of Timothy's mother and grandmother. He continues in verse 6, says, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when, he, when I laid my hands on you. So he said, hey, because you have this faith that you inherited from your mother and your grandmother, that's why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God has given you. It applies, this charge applies to all of us, whether our graduation was days ago or decades ago, or whether it's not even happened yet, there's truth in this statement for each of us. If we have decided to follow Jesus, we have received from him at least one spiritual gift, one specific calling or purpose, one passion that lights our heart on fire. Your gift may be compassion, it may be generosity, it may be worship, it may be proclamation, it may be service, it may be any other number of spiritual gifts that happens throughout scripture. But what our gift is, is not as important to Paul in this context as what we are doing with it. When Paul tells Timothy to fan into flames the gift that God gave you, he's painting this picture, this picture of a fire that needs to be kept burning. It needs to be kept alive, so you have to stir it and fan it and fuel it to make sure that it doesn't go out. What Paul is saying is that it's not enough to possess a spiritual gift. You have to put it into practice. You have to live it out. right? And that's why foreign arts is so important. We've got all these students with these immense giftings, but we need to give them these opportunities to put it into practice. We spend, some of us spend so much time asking God to reveal his purpose for our lives. Tell me what's next. Give me a sign. Show me where I need to go. And I think that for some of us, God would ask us, what are you doing with the gifts I already gave you? We don't have to wait for a text alert or an alarm to sound to be look for, looking for opportunities to 
put our gifts into practice. When Paul tells Timothy to fan your gifts into flames, he's saying you need to be looking for opportunities to invest what God has given you into the lives of those around you. That doesn't have to happen in a church building. It doesn't have to happen in public view of everybody else. All we're called to do is put our gifts into practice, to grow them, to use them, and to develop them. So whether you're still in school, whether you're headed to college, if you've been working for a while or you're already retired, there are opportunities everywhere for you to use your gifts. And it doesn't have to be something big or earth-shaking. It might just be as simple as saying a prayer when somebody pops into your head. It might be inviting somebody's kid to VBS next or a couple weeks from now. It could be speaking up for those who often go unheard or advocating for a cause that you believe in. Fanning your gift into flames doesn't have to mean sending attention-grabbing smoke signals to everyone around you. Our gifts can be used publicly, privately, secretly, or even anonymously, as long as they're used intentionally. So after commending Timothy for his genuine faith and reminding him of the need to practice his spiritual gifts and fan them into flames, Paul takes this conversation just a little deeper where we're going to spend the rest of our time, most of the rest of our time in this verse, where he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. I want you to notice something here, something we kind of already talked about during worship. But Paul does not say to Timothy that he should never experience fear or feel afraid. He says that God did not give us a spirit of fear. So before we dive into everything that Paul is saying in this Verse, I want to take a moment to explore the idea of fear. Because fear kind of gets a bad rap in most churches. We we think like, well, the Bible says the phrase or a version of the phrase, do not be afraid over a hundred times. So fear must be a bad thing, right? The problem with that thinking is that fear is an emotion. It's been given to us by God. We're created in God's image. We feel because God feels. And so fear is not always a bad thing. Sometimes it warns us. Sometimes it protects us. Sometimes we need fear to survive. Look, if you were to walk into the dark woods without the ability to experience fear, I highly doubt you'd come out alive. Somebody's going to eat you. (laughs) On top of that, of all those hundred plus do not be afraid verses, Throughout Scripture, some of them, yes, they are commands, but the majority of them are encouragement. It's like what I would say to my son if he woke up scared in the middle of the night after a nightmare. If I tell him, man, it's okay, don't be scared, don't be afraid. I'm not saying, hey, you better stop being scared. I'm saying, you don't have to be afraid anymore because I'm here to protect you. When God tells us, do not be afraid, he doesn't usually mean it in the form of a command. He means it in a form of consoling us, of reminding us he's here with us. So that very fear can be what drives us into the arms of our Savior. But I'm also not saying that fear is always honest. Sometimes it gets twisted. And our God-given emotions become something that's used against us. We become scared of things we shouldn't be or overwhelmed with fear to a degree we were never meant to experience. It can be easy to develop unhealthy fears that in turn shape the way we see the world and ourselves. 
fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of what other people think, all of these things, fear of the unknown, they can all trigger our survival instincts in ways that are not part of God's design. That's why it's so important to run all of our fears through the filters of Scripture and of God's plan for our lives. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here when he tells Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He's, saying that a, a Christ, he's not saying that a Christ follower will never experience fear or never have any reason to be afraid. He's saying that we should not walk in a spirit of fear. We should not surrender to that fear because that's not something God gave us. Again, I want to reiterate that I'm not saying there will never be an instance in where you have reason to be afraid, where you have no reason to be afraid. Life brings all kinds of things, uncertainty, just all kinds of reasons and examples that are legitimate reasons for us to be afraid. God's not telling us to never experience the emotion of fear. He's saying don't walk in the spirit of fear. When the fear comes, don't surrender to it. To clear up any lingering confusion, Paul tells Timothy what kind of spirit God does give us. One of power, love, and self-discipline. Some translations say power, love, and a sound mind. Either way, Paul is explaining to Timothy that not only has God not given us a spirit of fear, but that he has given us a spirit that equips us to overcome any fear that comes our way and step into God's will for our lives. The Spirit gives us the power to face our fears and endure our circumstances. This is not some superpower that we possess to never experience challenges or trials ever again. It's not some political power that we wield over others and tell them to get out of our way. We're coming through. It's the ability to endure whatever comes our way. It's the ability to persevere and put our hope and our faith and our trust in God no matter how many reasons we might have to be fearful. And so Paul's reminding us here that it is impossible to trust God when we're walking in a spirit of fear. And only through the power that his spirit brings can we place our faith in him. This kind of power, again, does not mean the absence of fear, but rather the willingness to trust God in the midst of it. It's the kind of power that David spoke of in Psalm 27 when he wrote in verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Then though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Clearly, David has all kinds of reasons to be afraid. If somebody says they're coming to devour me, I'm running from that person. He's not saying, I have no reason to fear. He's not saying, I have no situations that are cause for fear. He's not saying, I will never experience the emotion of fear ever again. He's saying that no matter what comes my way, no matter how scary or terrifying or uncertain a situation will be, I will not surrender to the spirit of fear because I have a God who gives me the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I don't have to worry about that. No matter what comes my way, if God's on my side, why should I be afraid? When 
When we walk in the Spirit of God, we have the power and ability to overcome anything and everything that comes our way, no matter what that may be. But we also have the Spirit of love. And when we look throughout the scope of Scripture, we can see that love, not courage, is the opposite of fear. When we love God and know that he loves us, we'll trust him in the face of our greatest fears. When we know how God loves us and we find our identity in him, we won't have to be afraid of rejection or the opinions of others. And when we love others, not only will we not be afraid of them, we will not be afraid to serve them in big, risky ways. Ways that help them understand that they don't need to be afraid either because they have the same access to God's strength and peace that we do. And listen, I'm not saying that we should intentionally put ourselves in dangerous situations in the name of love. I'm saying instead that through the Holy Spirit, we should love others so much that we would be willing to follow God wherever he leads us. Whether that's making an uncomfortably large donation to the give or becoming a missionary to poverty-stricken areas in Panama or simply inviting somebody to join us at church. The spirit God gives us will fill us with a love so deep that fear won't even be a factor in our decision-making process. And the spirit of God also provides us with self-control or a sound mind, and that phrase simply means that we won't fly off the handle or freak out in fearful situations, but rather that we will, with God's help, bring those instincts and emotions under control and choose to put our hope and faith in Jesus. So often when we are going through difficult or frightening circumstances, we tell ourselves that we just need to be strong. You just just keep going. Just keep pushing. You can do it. You can make it through. I want to tell you something this morning, church. You can't, but he can. We were not meant to make it through on our own. We are not strong enough. If we're not walking in the spirit of God, we will always be overcome by the spirit of fear. We can't get through it on our own, but when we rely on Jesus to give us strength and endurance to, through any circumstance, that's when we can keep going. That's when we can persevere. That's when we don't have to be afraid. You would think that Paul had made his point after verse 7 saying, you know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But he continues on in verse 8. He writes, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. That's a tough verse to read. What Paul's saying to Timothy is, your trust in God should be so great that you're ready and willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, no matter what that looks like. I want you to think about this, though, from the perspective of Timothy. Here's Paul saying, Paul's writing to Timothy because Timothy has had some issues with timidity in his past. He doesn't want to stand up uh, when, when conflicts arise in some of the churches that he leads. He doesn't really like confrontation. And Paul's saying, Timothy, you've got genuine faith. You've got gifts from the Holy Spirit that you need to fan into flames. You don't need to be timid or afraid. You need to be so willing to trust in God that you're ready and willing to share in my suffering. And Timothy knows where Paul is writing this letter from. 
He's writing it from a dark, cold Roman jail cell getting ready to be executed. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you know how I said all that stuff about faith and gifts and not having a spirit of fear but of power, love, and self-control? Well, you need to trust God so much. You need to rely on God's strength so much that you're ready and willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Again, it doesn't mean we need to seek it out. We don't need to be masochists up in this joint. But we need to be willing. What Paul is saying is there should be no threshold under which you will not trust in Christ. I don't know about you, but that's been tested before in my life. There's been moments. And I think that's why Paul closes this section of his letter to Timothy the way he does. Certainly not the end of the entire letter, but the end of the portion we'll be looking at today, he gives an explanation of why we should be willing to trust God so intensely and why we should be committed to serving him even to the point of suffering. He's not saying, hey, God asks for it, so you should give it to him, although that would even be true because God is sovereign. He, he's giving us this explanation. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. He says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this because we deserved it, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. He did this not because we deserved it. And then in verse 10, he says, And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And this is what I love. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So Paul's saying, listen, Timothy. You want to know why I'm saying you should be willing to follow God, willing to trust him even to the point of suffering? Because even if they kill you, he already broke the power of death. There's nothing you could ever go through that he hasn't already overcome. There's no fear you could ever face that he is not the answer for. There's no situation you could ever encounter for which his faithfulness will not be there for you, will not see you through. There's nothing, not one thing, So why should we trust him? Because he saved us, not because we deserve it, but because he chose us when we didn't. Why should we have no fear? Because he already broke the power of death. And what's scarier than that? If you would, just stand to your feet this morning. this morning we talked about how I believe there's somebody in here tuning in and you feel like the things that you're afraid of can't be overcome the challenge that you're facing is too big and in a way you're right it is too big for you 
So you didn't overcome death. You didn't break the power of death. But Jesus did. Listen, I'm not saying that you're wrong or you're in sin if you feel fear. I hope I've made that clear. My wife is terrified every time she drives somewhere with me. And that's legitimate. I'd be lying to you if I said that I'm not still afraid sometimes of what's going to happen in the future or with my kids or with my daughter. But that fear shouldn't drive me into more fear. It should drive me back into the arms of the one who already broke the power of death. <laughs>